Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And Wednesday night, I can't remember the last time we just did one chapter, but we'll be lucky if we get through this one chapter. Because there's so many um, events that take place, not necessarily as we're going to see in a chronological order. We did a pretty in-depth study on part of this on Sunday, but let's back up just a little bit in review. In chapter 23, we had um, the Lord being confronted by the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. And they tried to trap him. This would be his final week. The cursing of the fig tree took place on Tuesday, I believe. And we will be coming back and looking at that tonight as we look at the parable of the fig tree. Then in chapter 23, the Lord goes after them, after they went after him in chapter 22. And as I mentioned on Sunday, this is one of the strongest chapters in the Bible as the Lord, I guess if it's one thing he couldn't stand, it was a hypocrite. Eight times he pronounces... um, woes upon them and uh, he calls them hypocrites seven times he also calls them serpents brood of vipers in verse 33 how can you escape the condemnation of hell stating that the religious leaders were the ones really because they would not repent weren't going to have salvation and that brings us to verse 37 where even though he's extremely firm with the religious leaders. Uh, He's brokenhearted because they are about to miss the reason that he came. So in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her little chicks, but you were not willing. So now see your house has left you desolate, For I say to you, you will not see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Part of our goal tonight in the study is to actually see where Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then they will see him again. Now, this is probably the first time where the disciples are listening and they're figuring out that the Lord is going to postpone the kingdom age. And up till this time, even though we've studied Matthew five times, he's told them we're going to Jerusalem, going to be betrayed, going to be scourged, going to be killed. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. But they had other plans in their thinking. They just could not grasp that the kingdom was not about to come. But as he begins now in in chapter 24, the first two verses, to talk about the destruction of the temple, um, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, if you're taking notes, again, we want to harmonize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if we would turn, you don't have to, but in, in Mark's, Gospel, chapter 13, verse 3. Here it just tells us disciples. In verse 3 of Mark, it tells us it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There was just four of them. So we have a little bit more information in Mark's gospel. 
So it was these four that the Lord says, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now on Sunday, we talked a little bit about uh, a preterist and preterism. And if you weren't here on Sunday, I'll give you a a short um, explanation of what preterism is. Preterism is the belief that all of these events in Matthew 24 and in the book of Revelation were all completed when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And what I pointed to, to if you ever run into a preterist and they say, well, that was all fulfilled in 70 AD and um, the book of Revelation was fulfilled in, in 70 AD, all you have to do is point to verse 21 of the same chapter and ask them this question. There was um, over 100,000 people, according to Josephus, if I remember right, that were killed during that period of time. But here we have, in verse 21, the Lord says, for there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And to say that uh, Matthew 24 was completely fulfilled is... Sure, folly. To say that that was the worst period of time that's ever been or ever will be. Surely the Holocaust was worse. World War I was worse. World War II was worse. Vietnam was worse. And um, this will have its fulfillment if you take it in context and take the whole chapter instead of just taking his first two verses, which verse 1 and 2 does apply to 70 A.D., and he was looking at what we call Herod's temple. Matter of fact, it was still under construction. And um, the Lord is telling them that the temple that they're looking at would be destroyed, and it was destroyed in 70 AD. And Israel has not been back in the land for almost 2,000 years. But uh, we are very unique. Sometimes I, I think, what would I rather be? Would I rather have lived and walked and saw Jesus, or would I want to be here when he comes again? And if I could pick between the two generations, which one would it be? And I still don't know for sure. (laughs) But to be raptured, we're going to talk about the rapture tonight, an event that has occurred in the past. It happened with Enoch. He walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Elijah was raptured visibly. And Elijah saw him taken up into heaven. I, I, I believe uh, Philip was relocated from the Gaza Strip to Azotus. We were talking about that during the baptism. Just disappeared. And he was found near Ozatus, and uh, he settled in at Caesarea. So verses 1 and 2. Um, finally, the disciples are going to get it and if that's the case then they have questions because they had given their whole life the last three years day and night they were with the Lord with every anticipation that he is the Messiah and the kingdom has come and he's coming to establish it that's not the case and so if that's not the case it's um, a real wake-up call for them and so in verse 3 they ask Three questions. 
Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, first of all, tell us when will these things be and what will be, notice, the sign, singular. What, what will be one, the single sign of your coming and then it talks about the end of the age. Now as we go through our study tonight, let me just <clears throat> say this, that we're not gonna follow it in a chronological order. We're gonna have the second coming laid out for us uh, before the abomination of desolation. And I'm sorry, we'll have the, um, um, the events rising up to the abomination of desolation. And then we'll have the second coming actually taking place before where there's a whole new change of thought with the parable of the fig tree. And then we'll get into the rapture in verses 36. This is going to be a page turner tonight, so I hope you have your tabs. Um, To do a thorough, in-depth study of Matthew 24, we need to go slow, connect the dots, so that you can see the chronological order, not only in the New Testament, where it's foretold, but also um, in the Old Testament. So in verse 4, The very first warning that we have is take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places and these are just the beginning of sorrows. Now, the first thing he warns about, and on Sunday what we did, if you weren't here, we went to Matthew 13, and Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. I'm not going to go back, but I will. I'm going to quote it quickly if you weren't here on Sunday. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed, and it grew, and it grew into wheat. And then... An enemy came and sowed tares and it grew among the wheat so that they're both growing together. And that was basically the parable. Now, at the end of chapter 13, the disciples say, Lord, would you tell us what you were talking about with the parable of the wheat and the tares? And he says, sure. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So when Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Good seed, the good news. But he said, the one who sowed the tares was the devil himself. So you have the scripture saying there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So what do we have here? One very narrow way to get to heaven. And that's the good seed that was sown by none other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, with that narrow way, now you have all these tares. And I, I wanted to bring down Walter Martin's book, Kingdom of the Cults, because he's just got them all listed out there. If you've never heard of that, it's the all-time classic on cults. And he, he goes into great detail explaining what all of them were. One of them, I saw two two guys today, two Mormons, walking down the street, 
I was tempted to turn my truck and just pull it over and have a little conversation with him. <laughs> I didn't because I needed to get somewhere. But um, we have Mormonism, we have Universalism, we have Hinduism, we have Roman Catholicism, we have Islam, that's divided into two sects that hate each other, and I'll be talking about them when we get to lawlessness in just a little bit, between the Sunnis and the Shiites. We have Jehovah Witnesses, and the list goes on and on with the tares. So we have one very, very narrow way, and so what the Lord is telling us in these verses here, that there's going to rise false Christ, false prophets, and they'll teach something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there'll be many of them. Matter of fact, in verse, well, verse um, five, verse 11, many false Christ will arise and deceive many. Um, again, in verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise four times. In Matthew 24, the Lord is warning about not only false prophets here and now that are the tares that have been going on since the gospel was given, but primarily zeroing in when we're talking about the Antichrist and the abomination, what we have in view here is uh, the false prophet who does signs and wonders to make even fire come down from heaven. And because he's able to do these wonders, it's, he said even, it's possible for even the very elect to be deceived. So picking it up in verse 9 through oh, 13, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. Many will be offended. They'll betray one another. They will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up, deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Tonight on the news, reporting from Syria, terrorist attack, and we had 200 people killed in one terrorist attack incident. 200. And it's, you know, it's just one of the news captions. Well, that's just tonight's news. You go back to yesterday or the day before, it's always something every day where lawlessness is abounding. And I scratch my head and I wonder, why, why doesn't somebody just take this guy out like they did Hussein and like they did um, uh, Wacky Gaddafi from <laughs> Libya? Um, they're dictators, they're terrorists, they're Hitlers. And um, Iran and Russia is propping up Assad and um, talk about a rumor of war because they shot this Israeli soldier this last week. Um, They're escalating it and telling Hamas in Gaza that uh, if it happens again, you got two hours because we're coming in and we don't have to come in with boots to finish the job and take you guys out. So we have that rhetoric going on. Yesterday on the news... I was hearing Trump go head to head with the leader in Iran and as they're talking tough, Trump uses the phrase, you threaten us once more. That was a headline, you threaten us one more time and you're just inherited the mother of all wars. They come back and say, if you threaten us once more, we're going to stop all the shipping 
that goes through um, their straits there that they can close it off. And, um, you know, our president uh, can um, be loose-lipped at times, but then again, with the way things are ratcheting up, my point here is lawlessness is abounding, and there's wars, and there's rumors of wars, and they could actually have a major battle in the Gaza Strip. We could actually have a major, what he calls a mother of all wars, in Iran. And um, we know that Iran and Russia are the two main players in the Ezekiel 38 war, which could happen at any time. Some of the questions that I have is what happens first, Lord? Is it Ezekiel 38, the rapture first, then Ezekiel 38, or does the rapture happen right during Ezekiel 38 or right after Ezekiel 38? I don't know. It doesn't give us that much clarification. But um, I know that um, after that is one of the wars and rumors of wars. So if we're told to watch, this is a key word that we're going to close with tonight. Watch. Well, if we really are living in the last days and Jesus really is coming, then what should we be watching for? Well, we should see Russia and Iran um, making moves to be involved in Israel. What do we see in the world today? They're already there. Iran is talking tough and um, they're talking tough to one of the toughest presidents that um, we've had in a long, long time. And um, I don't think he's afraid to pull the trigger. If it, if it comes to push to shove, I don't think he's afraid to do that. So when we read here that um, lawlessness will abound today, one of the largest terrorist attacks um, that ever happened where 200 people were killed in one, one terrorist attack. And then, as we get up to um, this period of time, he says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Again, this is not in a chronological order. It's building up to the great tribulation. And as we get to verse 14, uh, this is where we're going to do our first sidetrack that we did on on Sunday when we had our missionary from uh, Jars here with us. Uh, He's in Papua New Guinea for about 20 years. And um, he's at the EAA. And in verse 14, we'll take this verse by itself as a sign. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, all the nations. And when our brother was here, he said there's still 2,000 ethnic groups that have not heard the gospel. But here we're told in verse 14, before the end can come, that the Lord will have the gospel preached to all nations, and then it says, and then the end will come. A lot of times missionaries take this as their verse. And um, again, with replacement theology or dominionism, uh, that's the belief that we have to evangelize the world before the kingdom can come. And all you have to do is be realistic to look out at the world to see if that's happening. And it's not only not happening, but what we see in Second Thessalonians, we see a falling away from rather than Christianity is dead in Europe. It's called post-Christian, but what's thriving? 
in Europe, Islam. And that's what we see thriving. So if you just look common sense, we, we look at this verse and say, the church isn't getting the job done, but that doesn't surprise me because the scriptures say just the opposite. The Lord says, when I come back again, will I find faith on the earth? No. Uh, there will be a remnant like the church of Philadelphia. Let's turn to Revelation 14. And this is my personal conviction on this. You don't have to hold it if you don't want to. But because of, of the gospel being preached and then the end coming very quickly after that, on Sunday I made the point that the Lord always leaves a witness. Right now we're still here. So we're supposed to be witnessing. Good place for an amen. Okay, but when the rapture takes place, then we're taken out, and we'll be talking about that when we get to Second Thessalonians. The, we find out from Revelation 11 that um, the two witnesses have a ministry that lasts for three and a half years, 1,260 days. But in, if you, in chapter 11, um, just go back a page, um, Verse three, I'll give power to my two witnesses. They will prophesy 1,260 days. Then they're killed by the Antichrist. Uh, Their bodies lie in the street for three and a half days and are taken up into heaven. So the two witnesses are no longer witnessing. But God always leaves a witness. So who's witnessing now? Well, chapter 14, verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach. To who? To those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and peoples. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now if you turn the page to chapter 16, We have, in um, verse 12, we have the battle of Armageddon from 12 to 16 where we have unclean spirits that go and go to the kings of the east to bring them as the Euphrates River is dried up. And we find in verse 15, all of a sudden, And this always amazed me. As we talk about these things that we're gonna talk about tonight, here the Lord, right before the last judgment, and this the reason I'm bringing this up, Matthew 24 says the gospel's gonna be preached and then the end's gonna come. The end of what? Well, the end of that tribulation period. Certainly not the end of the world. Um, It goes on for another thousand years before there's a new heaven and a new earth. But verse 15, behold, I'm coming as a thief. This is red letters. So now he's talking to the church again, where everything else is just detailed events that take place during the tribulation period. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who, what? Watches. But what? The signs. And keeps his garment lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Next verse is the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is when the Lord Jesus returns Uh, Here they're just gathered together for it. Chapter 19 is actually the battle itself. And the end is um, where every, verse 20, every island fled away, the mountains were not found, Jerusalem is divided in three parts. 
Um, and then a great hail from heaven, hailstones, the weight of a talent, and men blaspheme God because of the plague of hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. End of tribulation. Chapter 17 is a chapter that goes back and gives detail about uh, the church that will exist. It's called Mystery Babylon. The last verse tells us that the city will, will be headquartered in Rome. Verse 18, and a woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. In John's day, Rome ruled over the cities of the earth. And then chapter 18 is the economic system of Babylon. So it's twofold. Mystery Babylon is a religious system, a one world religion, and a one world government, all And uh, the Antichrist won't put up with the one world religion. Nobody will be worshipped except him. So he destroys Rome. And he restores this religion. Back to Matthew 24, verse 14. Says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. I believe this will be fulfilled um, by an angel that preaches just like it says to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Verse 15, therefore, change the thought, because this is going to happen. Therefore, he now gives instructions to the group of people that will be hearing this Bible study during the Great Tribulation. It's giving them information, what to do when the abomination of desolation happens. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, and we made a point of this on Sunday, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, many people have never even heard of the abomination of desolation, much less have a biblical understanding of where it is, why it's there, and what are the Jewish people going to do when it happens. So before we go on to 16 to 22, that gives us the detailed information about where they go, how long they're gonna stay there, Let's take it for granted that there's those either watching live streaming or here that really don't have a good grasp of what this event is. We need to go back to the book of Daniel, chapter nine. We're gonna be talking about the rapture a little bit tonight and more details on Sunday. But Daniel nine is very important if you hold to the pre-trib, which we do at Calvary Chapel, view of the rapture. God is going to work with Israel for 490 years, according to verse 24. And after 483 of those years, according to verse 25, it says um, the Messiah, the prince, is going to come. I don't know how it can be any more clear than that. When the decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was taken into captivity as we know, that's why we, it's important to study all the Old Testament because a lot of it, like the whole book of Jeremiah, is warning the people not to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar because they didn't keep the Sabbath law to keep the land for a period of 70 um, years. They're going to go into captivity for that period of time. Don't fight it. But they wouldn't listen. But my point with all that is that This is referring to Israel's 483 years. Well, in verse 26, after that 483 years, 
It talks about the Messiah coming, verse 26, he'll be executed, but not for himself. There's a whole gospel in Daniel 9, verse 26. Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was killed on Passover. He was without sin. Pilate questioned him. Four times he comes out and says, I can't find any fault in this man. He was a blameless son of God who will take away the sins of the world. And then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now this is Rome. Rome is the one who, along with um, the religious establishment, put Jesus to death on a cross. It was the Romans and the Jews. And the people of the prince who is to come, future tense, this is a reference to the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with flood till the end of the war's desolations are determined. Now this is um, what happened in 70 AD. Jesus said it would happen because they didn't know this prophecy. Because you didn't know the time of my coming, you should have known. They should have been teaching it. They should have been watching for a guy riding down the Mount of Olives on a donkey and people quoting Psalm 118. The lights should have went ding, it's late, Messiah's here. And um, in Luke 19, Jesus said, because you didn't know the time of your visitation, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna be encircled by your enemies. This was the Rome that will destroy the city. It's a fact of history, it happened in 70 AD. So verse 26, Jesus died in 32, A.D., 38 years later in 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, verse 27. Now we're going to talk about the prince who is to come. He comes from the revived Roman Empire. And in verse 27, there's a gap between 26 and 27 of over 2,000 years. Because that happened in 70 AD, and in verse 27, hasn't happened yet. It happens in the middle of the tribulation. Now this is important because it tells us when it's gonna happen. So in verse 27, then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who is the he? He is the Antichrist. With who? With Israel. There's some sort of peace treaty that's signed that gives Israel back her temple, and we'll be going there in just a second to show you that in Second Thessalonians. So one week, one seven-year period of time, no coincidence that the book of Revelation and the tribulation period starts in Revelation chapter six, verse one, and it goes for seven years exactly, and that's the one week that he owes Israel. But right now, the clock has stopped. Right now, we're in the church age. And... Um, when the church age is over with and we're raptured, I believe immediately uh, that will begin. Just try to imagine. We just read this so glibly sometimes and don't think. Dave Hunt has always says, have you ever sat down and just thought about what happens when a couple, several hundred million people just are gone? Can you imagine what's going to happen to Wall Street? Can you imagine the world and, and um, um, looking for answers and trying to find something to explain what just happened? I'll tell you what I think it is, what the lie is gonna be in just a bit. But 
it says he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. Well, in order to have sacrifice and offering, you have to have a temple. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. This is where Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, if you're reading, understand it. Well, what do we understand here? Well, he's got to come from Rome. Because he's, uh, uh, verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come, future tense. When he comes, he's going to sign a peace treaty, seven years. But he breaks it in the middle. So exactly 1,260 days, this is the exact length of time that Moses and Elijah will have their ministry. There is this event called the abomination of desolation. Now, in chapter 7, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, because I can. I mentioned Antioch Epiphanes, which is also in Daniel. Uh, and that happened in 170 AD, where uh, he put a um, statue of Jupiter in, uh, in the Holy of Holies. And that was also considered an abomination of desolation. But the one that is referred to here, as long as we're here before we go to Thessalonians, go to chapter 12. Daniel wanted to know more information. But he tells Daniel in verse 12, verse 4, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And um, verse 9, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, refined, The wicked will do wickedly, lawlessness will abound. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, well, now we know when that is because of Daniel 9, right in the middle of that seven-year period of time. And the abomination is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, this is an important point I'm going to make. Daniel 9 tells us to the day when Jesus came the first time. Daniel 12 tells us to the day he's going to come the second time. All you have to, we're not gonna be there, uh, but if you get saved during this period of time in the tribulation and you see this event take place, start marking your calendar off 1,290 days later, uh, the Lord comes back and you're blessed if you make it to the 1,335th day. That's a 45-day period of time. Uh, We'll touch on it tonight in Matthew 25, where it's the judgments of the nations. Evidently, before the millennium can begin, there are people who took the mark of the beast that are alive. They can't go into the kingdom age, but there are those who didn't, and they're still alive. So there has to be this judgment that separates the sheep from the goats. Um... Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. And we have Paul talking about this event. 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. All right, this is clearly a rapture verse. When the Lord comes, we're going to be gathered to him. When he comes a second time, we come with him. We don't get gathered to him. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or a word or by letter, 
as though it was from us, somebody had written a letter. Somebody had gave a prophecy. And it really shook up these Christians that were less than a month old in the Lord. And somebody told them that they were, that they were in a tribulation or something like that. So Paul says, I don't want you to think that because um, as though the day of Christ had come. The day of Christ is another reference to the tribulation, time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. It's the wrath of the Lamb. And then he says in verse three, let no one deceive you. Well, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. By any means for that day, what day? The day of the Lord. Will not come unless the falling away come first. Now on Sunday I said, Dr. Tommy Ice believes this is a rapture verse. I personally hold to it more being a falling away from the faith but I certainly am not going to argue with a man as brilliant as Dr. Tommy Ice. Him and Arnold Fuchenbaum are the experts as far as I'm concerned when it comes to an in-depth study on, on the rapture. It could be either. It could be the rapture, which has to come before the man of sin is revealed, and I'll explain why that is very important. And the son of perdition is revealed. Who is this guy? <clears throat> who opposes and exalts himself all above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And just like a picture of it in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bow down to the golden image. If you don't bow down, you will be killed. They didn't bow down. They tried to kill him by throwing him in the fire. These guys weren't burned. <laughs> And uh, um, I'll just go on because I could get real sidetracked there. And then this is almost humorous to me in verse five. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I told you all these things. These guys are only three weeks old in the Lord. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And that's the sin that's in the world today, the mystery of it. But there is a restraining force Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I believe this is a picture of the Holy Spirit inside every born-again believer. I think the analogy that I used on Sunday, if if you walk into a break room and somebody's telling a dirty joke and they see you, all of a sudden the joke quits or they quit swearing. You didn't say a word, you just walked in. What's up with that? Well, you're, you're restraining evil. And um, I'm sure everybody has had some sort of an experience similar to that one. But then, when we're taken out of the way, it's a picture of the rapture. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't working through the two witnesses convicting people of their sin and coming to Jesus. It's talking about us being taken up. And we're taken up first, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Notice the order whom the Lord will consume with the brightness of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the first thing he does after the battle of Armageddon. And we'll be talking about that in just a bit, is that he takes the beast and the false prophet and immediately casts them into the lake of fire. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. No wonder the Lord told us four times in Matthew 24, 
Look out for false prophets, false teachers. They'll show great signs and wonders. With all unrighteous deception for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. I personally believe the lie is some um, extraterrestrial that comes out and goes, yep, we've been here all along. And Area 51 is not a sham. We've got a whole bunch of them. And we got, they'll come out, and uh, it'll be such a strong deception that I think that, at least in my generation, we've been preconditioned for it for a long, long time. From just all you truckies out there, <laughs> and uh, all the movies about um, strange encounters of what the third kind or the second kind or all these years being preconditioned with uh, ETs so that they could be damned to did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All right, let's go back to Matthew 24. We're never going to, told you, it's going to be tough to get through all this tonight. So the abomination of desolation is an event that is marked Now in 16 to 22, this is instruction for people that are saved and will have this Bible study being given to them. It says in verse 16, when you see it, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the house stop not go down to take anything out of their house. Let him who is in the field not go back to, to his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. He's talking to Jewish saved people. For then there will be great tribulation. No, I just want to go up to verse, oh, we'll go to 22. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever will be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Okay. <clears throat> run. Don't go back to take anything. And if you don't run, you're not going to make it. Here, I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah chapter 16, and it tells us where they run to. Isaiah 16 will be a popular Bible study that Moses and Elijah will be giving. The first four verses Send the lamb to the rulers of the land. From Selah, which is Petra, to the wilderness, to the mountains of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of its nest. Uh, The picture here, flee, run, pray you're not pregnant, don't go back to get your coat. You're going to be, it'll be like you're being thrown like a bird out of its nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab and the fords of Arnon. Uh, Moab and Edom is where modern day Jordan is today. That's where Petra is today. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. Escapes from what? The Antichrist going after them when the abomination of desolation. If you don't worship me, you're going to be killed just like in the book of Daniel. Let my outcast dwell in you, O Moab. Well, that's Jordan. 
Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, another word for the Antichrist. For the extortioner, another name for him, is at an end. Devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. Isaiah 16 tells us, now I go to Revelation 12, and we'll connect the dots. Revelation 12 is they're running, they're fleeing to Petra. In verse 13, the devil, the dragon, saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman, that would be Israel, who gave birth to the male child. And um, that Jesus is uh, the male child here, born of Mary, but uh, from Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, singular, one year, times plural, two, two plus one is three and a half. There you have another way of saying 1,260 days or three and a half years from the present of the devil or the serpent. So the serpent spewed out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Now, this could be figurative, symbolic, could refer to an army, that it might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the, the, the uh, flood, uh, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, here um, we have, um, let's turn to Zechariah, and we'll actually be coming back to that. Zechariah chapter 13. Verse eight is a prophecy concerning when he can't get them because a third of them is protected in Petra. Zechariah 13 said, it will come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two thirds in it will be cut off and die, and one third will be left in it. I will bring the one third through the fire, will refine them as fire is refined, and test them as gold is tested. So they're being refined at Petra, one-third of the Jews, but two-third of the Jews are actually killed when the Antichrist leaves off with the one-third and he goes to make war with the rest of the women, and evidently, two-thirds of them are destroyed. Not evidently, the the scriptures are clear. It says, then they will call upon my name. Who? The one-third. And I will answer them. What did Jesus say? You're not gonna see me again until you say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After they've been refined, what does Zechariah tell us they do? They call upon the name of the Lord. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He shows up. And this is the second coming. And it's at the end of this three and a half year times, times, and half a times. That's how long they're protected for. All right, back to Matthew. I gotta keep going here. We left off... um, Verse 25, see, I have told you before, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. So many uh, people, like the Antichrist, declaring that he is God, says, doesn't matter where they tell you I am, I'm not. 
there because this is how I'm going to come. That brings us to verse 27, the second coming. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then it says, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. This has troubled many people trying to figure out what in the world is the Lord talking about here. Well, we clearly have verse 27. We know for sure what that is. That's the second coming. But then it talks about wherever the carcasses are, carcasses are dead bodies, there the eagles will be gathered together. Quickly turn to Revelation chapter 19, and I'll tell you what I think it is. And again, I won't be dogmatic on it, but it makes sense to me. So Revelation 19 is the second coming. And um, verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he who sat at him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written which no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us, guys. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he would strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has a name written on his robe and on his side, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, captains, mighty men, their horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people free and slave, both small and great. What is the Lord saying in Matthew 24? That everybody's gonna see him when he comes. And then the next verse is that where the carcasses are, that's where the eagles will be gathered together too. I believe it's one right after the other. First we have the second coming. The Lord speaks the word at the battle of Armageddon, which isn't really a battle at all. They're all dead. And then an angel calls for birds to come and dwell on their carcasses. I hold to the belief, again, let's go back to Matthew 24, let's read it again, that when he comes, he's not gonna be hiding in any secret chamber. He's gonna come with the armies of heaven, clothed in white. They will be all killed, and then there's this great feast by the birds. So I believe for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together is that great feast that will take place immediately after the Lord comes back. Then, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Turn with me to uh, Zechariah chapter 12. 
And there's no, I'll tell you right now, there's no way we're gonna get through it tonight. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take two more thoughts. Here we're told that when they see him, they're gonna mourn for him. Well, this is actually foretold in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And it's hard to put this in the words, to miss that it was Jesus, if you're Jewish, it was Jesus all along that they had rejected. Verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they'll look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem. What day? When they see the Lord come back. Like the mourning of Hadab Rahman in the plain of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, the wives by themselves. It's like, they're just, just leave me alone. This is more than I can take in, that we had rejected him. If you turn the page and look at verse um, Nine, somebody will ask the Lord, someone will say to him, what are these wounds that you have in your hands? And the Lord will say, well, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. My own people did this to me. And for a Jew who has long waited for their Messiah to come, and the reality that was really Jesus all the time, leave me alone. I gotta digest this. It's like losing my firstborn son. And all the families, verse 14, that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. So when we read in Matthew 24, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, the mourning there as a reality sets in of what they did to their own Messiah. Where'd you get those wounds in your hands? For my friends, for my family, for the people that had waited for me. And that's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, I wanted you like a mother hen gathering her chicks. I wanted you to believe, but you would not. We'll read one more verse, and that is verse Matthew 24, verse 31. After he comes back, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. I'll quote McGee on this one for a closing verse. The elect spoken of this verse is national Israel. The prophets in the Old Testament foretold of a miracle that would bring the Jews back into their land. This is not the church which is going to be caught up out of this world to meet the Lord in the air. Angels are not connected with the rapture. The Lord will come in person to receive the church with the sound of a trumpet. And his voice will be like that of an archangel. He will not need any help to gather his church together. He died for the church and he will bring it together when he says that the angels shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. We can be sure that he is talking about Israel or those people that are scattered in the four corners of the earth. Uh, Ministering angels have always been connected with Israel. Well, we made it to verse 31. And there's no way I'm gonna, I mean, I got so many notes on the parable of the fig tree because now it's a change of thought. 
and we're going to regress. And um, the parable of the fig tree and the rapture will deal with extensively on Sunday. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for Matthew 24 as it's knocking at the door, as Johnny Cash sang. Lord, we see these things, we see the, the birth pains leading up to events that we're so grateful, Lord, that your word goes into great detail telling us, or especially telling those who are alive during the tribulation what to do, where to go. The Old Testament telling us exactly where they go to. And it will be such a heavy time, Lord. Give us a heart for the lost as we're witnesses in our day and age to really care about what happens to a person um, before this terrible event takes place. Help us be rapture ready, Lord. Help us be that wise servant that's found watching for your coming. Lord, bless your people as we go out tonight. Hope we make it home before the storm and those that are out in it, especially down at the EAA, Lord, we pray for them. And I do pray for Sunday, Lord, that you would help us go even deeper into the parable of the fig tree and the rapture of the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.